0: Folks, uh warm welcome again to our latest generation podcast, a podcast from Scotland where we talk about mission, where we talk about various aspects of mission. It's a podcast with a difference. Our focus, as I say, is on evangelism and getting the gospel out there. We are not a celebrity podcast. We don't get the big names. However, today we made an exception. We do have a celebrity with us and uh, Kenny McKenzie all the way from the island of Lewis. Hi, Kenny. How are you?
1: Hi, David. I'm fine. Thank you. And thank you for asking me along today. It's my pleasure. Now, many
0: of our listeners and viewers perhaps wouldn't know um, who you are. Can you just tell us a little bit about you, where you were brought up and how you came to be
1: a Christian? Well, I was brought up on the island of Lewis, uh, a village outside Stornoway called Back, about seven miles from from the town of Stornoway, and uh, brought up in Lighthill, just where, where uh, the, 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 our church is situated right on the corner of Light Hill. So, yeah, my, mother, my father was a weaver. My mother was, was uh, just helping in the home. I have two sisters and one younger brother. My two sisters are older than me. And it was a carefree home. Uh, my mother and father went to church uh, they did not profess faith but uh, we were brought up uh, under the influence of the gospel with then it was Reverend Macaulay Mother Macaulay, who was the minister when I was growing up a lot of, not that he well I don't think he touched my heart at that time with the gospel but he was a powerful preacher there was no word, no need for speakers in these days with him he was powerful in his speech and uh, in the village we had Sheep, my father had some sheep, we had a cow, we had some hens, and it was a carefree home. Yeah. Absolutely. And can you remember
0: when you first became interested in becoming a real Christian, as opposed to a social Christian or a nominal Christian?
1: Yeah. Well, I had a very godly auntie. And I left, I left the island at 15 to join the army. Uh, I went down to uh, Folkestone for two years, uh, boy service, as it were more then. And uh, she put a Bible with me. She took me, she gave me a Bible. And the verse that was in it was, remember thy creator in the days of thy youth, from Ecclesiastes. No, David. I, I I can't say these days. I didn't look at the Bible very often, and but I always had the Bible in my locker. Didn't matter where I went in with the army, the Bible stayed in the locker. And uh, I remember one day we were getting an inspection, and the commanding officer was giving us an inspection, and he actually. He picked up the Bible and he said to me, do you read this book? And I said, I just said, not as often as I should. Well, he said, you should. And that was that was the parting of the ways. So I went, joined the army, then uh, I, I can't say really that I was being drawn this way or that way, but deep down with the upbringing we get here, there's something there that doesn't go away. And that's the fear of the Lord. So I joined the army, went to Germany then for uh, three, four years. It was a home base then, did trips to Northern Ireland and did a lot of travelling throughout Europe, went to Central America, went to the States, I did a bit of travelling with the army. But I came out at the age of 21, out of the army back home and to be honest with you I I I didn't want to travel anymore I'd seen enough of the world and all the chaos of it so I came home and uh, just I I came home to the textile industry I I started weaving and enjoyed it so much got involved in football on the island youth work Uh, I was involved with a, a a with the football team and all the chaos that goes with that. There was a terrible drinking culture at that time with and uh, it wasn't good. But slowly by slowly this godly auntie was still attracting me and she was on to me start going to church more regularly. And at that time when I came back out of the army it was Reverend uh, Austin uh, Montgomery Montgomery very different to Mr. Macaulay in that he was very sort of quieter in his delivery. But uh, I loved his preaching. I really loved the way he was putting out the word of God. And I, I, was, I felt myself being attracted to it. And the other man who, who, who really had an influence on in me was Reverend Modo Alec MacLeod. Because I remember him saying one day, Everything is in a perpetual state of change; hence, the vanity of putting your trust in something that is continually changing. And that, for me, was a football. You're trusting in that round thing; you're never going to have lasting happiness in that. And then, I was in Then, I was enjoying life really, so I thought, but I didn't want to move off the island. Then, the time came. This friend of mine told me, there's communions in Scalpe. And that was as far away as I could go from, from, from my district. And he said, why were are coming with me? And it was Reverend Modualek McLeod who was preaching. And I went. And he, the first Psalm was Psalm 142. <laughs> I was my voice will cry to the Lord, or it broke me. It absolutely broke me, that psalm. And for the rest of the sermon, he went to uh, Isaiah 53. But that psalm stood, my world changed, David. My world changed. Even the road was beautiful. The creation was beautiful. My eyes had been opened. In an instant. In, In an instant. To the wonder of the gospel. Yeah. To the wonder of the gospel. I came home. There two old ladies, two old kayaks next door to me. One was ninety, and she was a Christian. But I said, "I'm going to have to go in here and tell her." And that old lady was saying, "She had heard that I'd gone to Sculpey. Oh, I was praying for you that the Lord would open your your heart." And the, yeah, and that's 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 really what happened, David, when I became mm-hmm. a Christian. And then after that wow, <laughs> you want to, this Christ has come into my life and saved me. You know, I think it was, you uh, said, uh, C.T. Studd, if Jesus Christ be God and died for me, then no sacrifice can be too great for me to make for him. And all of a sudden, I, I wanted to leave the island again. And serve the Lord in some capacity. And shortly after that, I actually went to Peru with Tear Fund for three months. And uh, we went down to London with Oak College for, for uh, just preparing us to. And I went out there with a group of people, men and women. And uh, I enjoyed it. it gave me a, 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 a taste and then came back home. Then I started being involved with the youth in our in our congregation and our district. So we had a development club. I, I, I said that was from the church also and the school. We had a good link from the from the church to the school, to the community. And I had about 100 primary children under me there. And uh, am I boring you? Not at all. This is fascinating. <laughs> <laughs> so the development club... I was church officer also at 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 our church, so the link between the church the school I was linked up with the headmaster and the community was quite good and I was getting involved with the parents, the children you know when you're involved with a group of children when parents come along, they only see one child there, <laughs> but you've got to look after the whole group so we did, we, we, I really enjoyed that, working with the children. Did that for 11 years, and we. I was involved in setting up um, facilities in our district, and my coaching friend and myself, we used to go for johns. Um, oh, we went to a, quite a few academies down south, went to the Ibrox Academy, and they, these were fascinating things for an insight for a football coach, you know, the way they were trying to develop the children Well the footballers then. And we even got a trip to, to the Barcelona Academy, which was quite a highlight. So anyway, then, the minister then was uh, uh, Ian D. Campbell. And I was enjoying his preaching so tremendous. I really enjoying his preaching. And one day he told me, I'm bringing an American. And I said to myself, All "Right." You're going through Ephesians. Why are you breaking it up just there with bring an American? Oh, he said, you like him. O Palmer Robertson, Dr. O Palmer Robertson, he said, I read his book when I was in the college, Christ of the Covenants. And I said to myself, if ever that man comes to Britain, I would like to have him. And that's what happened. He came, Palmer was writing books and he was coming to Cambridge. He was using the, the, the library in Cambridge. And d and got him for a weekend and he did a conference on the Israel of God. Palmer was an Old Testament professor. But at the same time, he shared the vision of African Bible colleges. At that time, Palmer was doing six months in Knox, Florida and six months in um, Malawi where, where African Bible colleges had a, had a college also. So, But he came and shared the vision that they were going to that they were going to put up a Bible college in Uganda. And the first, he was there Thursday, Friday, and no, Thursday night, Friday night, Saturday and Sunday. And when I came home on Thursday night, my wife was in tears, I said, what's wrong? Did that man speaking to us, God's word is speaking to us about Africa. So that was okay. I knew myself that things were happening. I went again on the Friday and there was no difference. We believed that God was calling us. Palmer was saying, you have been brought up with the sovereignty of God entrenched in your mind and in your heart and in your soul. Very few in the world have got that doctrine the way you have got it. So I didn't know Palmer then. So Palmer preached that in 2001. My wife and I were spellbound. We knew God was working in our lives. So it took us then, 2001. It took me till 2003 until I stepped out in faith. Palmer says, said to me, "Look." We need somebody to go on site there. Things are not so good, the, the, the man they have there. Can you at least go out for three months? So that's the way it started, uh, David. Uh, uh,
0: if I can stop you there, just a couple of things. I mean, there's so much there. First of all, you know, the story of, of your conversion. I mean, I was converted in the 70s and the 80s. And it's only when I look back, you know, there was a definite... Power of the spirit, and I only recognised it was there then because I don't see it today. Okay. No, it is. It is occasionally today. Uh, would you agree that there was just a sense of the presence of God in those times, uh, and that comes and that goes?
1: Well, I would agree with that, David. You know, I would agree with that. It's interesting you're saying that. I find that very interesting. Uh, the, the, the sheer, the, the, the way they the, the, they preach, and the other thing, David, that I found is, for me, with a preaching, that's the highest calling in the world. Yeah, I feel we've lost that.
0: I mean, what, what I find quite interesting is, uh, you know, my from a. Technical point of view, you know, some folk would say a lot of the preaching in those days wasn't great, it didn't stick to the text, you know, it it didn't have a lot of structure, you know. So a lot of folk would say that technically you hear great preaching today, It's you know, is connected to the text, um, but there was unction, wasn't there often, that indefinable presence of the Spirit. Definitely, yeah. Well, definitely, yeah. yeah. Now, yeah. I, I'm also interested that you seem to have an outward vision very, very early on, and that was revealed in your trip to Peru. Did you always have this kind of global, international perspective? And and if you did,
1: where do you think it came from? Well. Like I said, with the army, it 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 gave me a a, a view of a worldview of the world, uh, things good and things not. But but when I came back, David, oh, I'd seen enough of it. I'd seen enough. I, I really didn't want to try. But see, when the gospel came, oh, I couldn't stand still then. Only the gospel, I think, did that for me. Look, uh, you've been saved. Go and lift up the banner of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Wherever you are, go and lift up that banner. And uh, now, only the Holy Spirit did it. Yeah. Okay,
0: let's move move on. So O.P. Robertson was at the conference. You felt a real call to mission you shared that with, with Ishbal you 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 went over to Africa what, I mean you're you're not a preacher or you weren't then that's not your thing or that wasn't your thing then what, what did you do? I mean uh, I'll give away I you here I, I was in Kampala a few years ago Uganda and I went into this games hall and the thing that struck me was the floor um I think you put the floor down. Uh, you were involved in that. Well, I've seen your floor. So oh, tell yeah. us, tell us, tell us the story. How how did you? What what made this this crofter weaver, ex-army boy who was into sheep? Well, I mean, I mean, the story is bizarre. Tell, tell us.
1: Yeah. Well. As I said, we, 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 I stepped out in 2003, in June 2003. landed in Entebbe. We were going through Heathrow then. BA was doing a route then, but they stopped that. But I landed in Entebbe, and uh, well, you've done the trip from from Entebbe into Kampala, uh, and my view was, I was I was viewing that trip for the first time with the way Peru was was with, with, with the way people were in poverty, you know, how pure people. And I didn't see much difference 20 years on, you know. Well, anyway, I landed. It was a greenfield site then in Luboa. And uh, I stepped in there. I couldn't stay there then because... Well, there was no building sub for a start, so I was staying in Louisa, which was only about three miles from the campus. So I stayed there for, for, uh, for six months until we got a house up, but there had been some difficulties on site and they wanted me to take on the project as project manager now, I, was, I was reluctant to do that because I didn't have the, the skills for that. But as I looked around, the crew we had, we had 50 of a crew. And there were some good masons, some good carpenters. And that's really all we needed. We needed plumbers and sparkies and all that. But you really needed a good mason. So after three months, I came back home. And I said to my wife, Palmer, and, and the 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 bosses at African Bible College wants me want me to take that job on full time. And uh, we went aside for a while in prayer. We went actually to to to, to Paris for a week. Came back, went round the castle grounds and storn away about twenty times, and God was making clear to us, take it on. Go and be the project manager. So after three, I was home for a month. I went out. She didn't come back out then. She it was the next year she came out. So went back out, and it was all go. You know, it was incredible you've worked, You've seen Americans work I, I never saw a lazy American David. They were incredible workers, but the way they did this, there was twenty eight buildings to go up on the site, and they got a church in America to take on a building and the way they did it was they they they, they spread the funding over four years so if you had twenty eight churches and they were putting in ten thousand dollars. Each year, you could move the project. Yeah. Yeah. It was good, really. And of course, they had done that. Of course, they had another college in Liberia, which they lost for the war. I, I remember
0: that. Yeah. So, going go, go back a, a wee bit further, folk talk about a theological famine in Africa. What was the philosophy
1: behind what is now ABU, African Bible uh, University? Yeah. Well, Palmer put across this vision that this was the time for Africa. And the other vision that for myself personally was the way ministers have been taught in the free church, David, you know this better than anybody, really the teaching and the training you get is pretty pretty sharp. It's pretty excellent, really. And for myself, Wow, wouldn't it be wonderful if these people in Africa got a training like David Meredith? I had that in my mind, you know. And Palmer was putting that, cro- that, that vision across. You know, this is Africa's time, he would say. Let's train There's big churches over there, aren't there? I mean, yes, there the, are. Numbers, the numbers are huge. Yeah. Oh, definitely. You've seen that yourself. So there's great opportunities there. You saw that. Yes, very much so. Now, when I reached out there in 2003, the war was still going on in the north with the Lord Resistance Army. And we we were getting some of these men into the college. But what happened there up in the north was people were going, during the war, people were going in front of people with no Bible, but thinking in their own head that they knew the Bible. So there was much errant going on. So when these boys from the north came into the college, got their training, and went back out to them, oh, they changed things. God used them mightily, you know. and <laughs> It became a lot more biblical
0: in, in their preaching. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Now, can you tell me, What did you learn from the church in Africa? What what I mean by that is, as you reflect in your times back and forwards, what has the African church taught you? Bear in mind that the majority of Christians in the world today live in Africa and Latin America. You know, there's more Bible-believing Presbyterians in Malawi than there are in Scotland. So, you know, it's a different world. Uh, there's more Bible-believing Anglicans in, in, in Uganda than, than there are in, in England. Yes. You know, what did you learn from the African church?
1: Well, David, what I learned, you know, God has created us in His own image, and it's people that 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 that, that make the church. I, I remember my first time going into the Presbyterian Church in in Uganda. And the the preacher was Gerald Sarawaji. He was a Ugandan, very talented man. He he got got trained in Westminster in in America, Philadelphia. And it struck me what he said. He said he 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 was focusing on the white people in the congregation. And he said, are you prepared to get your heart broken? Not once, not twice, but many times. What are you going to do then? Are you going to run home like the rest? That struck me because he said, we have thousands of people going to church. Thousands upon thousands going to church. And God is using some of these preachers, even with them in the, with their errands, in the preaching of the gospel. God is using that, but we need proper biblical teaching. And from that I took that God is using the Africans. Many people have been converted, I believe. Not the way they are, maybe, in the free church. I mean, they've never heard of psalm singing, you know. But bit by bit, God is working in Africa. In amongst the poverty, in amongst the chaos, God is bringing order. And people, especially families, when they're coming under the gospel, they want their children. That's what I learned. They want their children to learn the Bible and for them to be brought up under the the, 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 the word of God. Now, the prosperity gospel is, is difficult in Africa because some people would say to me, look at you, you're white, you have money, you have a car, you have rich clothes. I want what you have. You know, that prosperity side. And, and pastors going out, Three lines. This line is five pounds, this line is ten pounds, and this line is twenty pounds. And I will give you your prayers like answered. That sort of chaos.
0: Yeah, okay. <laughs> so. Okay, well, let's let's touch on another couple of things. You you were involved in the building project there, ABC later ABU, African Bible University. <laughs> You were project managing that. You've been involved in lots of things as a Light Hill Christian School, I think, and also God is Good Africa, you know, the, the charity. Yeah. It's largely in Lewis. So I'm really interested in, I think, the back congregation to me is a great model of how a local congregation has embraced a global vision. And, you know, the island of Lewis and in, in Harris is tremendously generous in terms of giving to mission, it's true. Even in a secular sphere, you know, I think there's yes. more charitable giving in, in Lewis for head. And it's not a wealthy community either. So, tell me a, a wee bit about God is Good Africa and how you motivated the people in your own home community in Lewis
1: to be interested in global mission. Well, I, I had the backing of of of. Uh... Ministers minister for Kalamian. McLeod was with us not so long ago. And uh, you need that, obviously. You need the backing of your minister. And the other thing with them was they went to Uganda. They, saw, so it. they yeah. saw it. They saw it. You know, they, they, they saw all that was happening. Kalamian was up in a plane with Maf. You know, he, he, he saw a wide, wide range of the African uh, mission. So back home when he came home, you know, it, it was it was so good for me because we could go out. Obviously on the island, you know this, David, you've got to be careful with the balance you take. You can't go pushing every every week for money for Africa, you know. So used to space it out and I mean my church here, they bought motorbikes and bicycles and water tanks and money for, for uh, borehole wells. And that spread out. God is good Africa. Then I had friends coming in. Uh, Torkel McLeod, uh, Donald Dickey, uh, Sean Act McKinnon, he, he, Christine Kennedy, uh, Catherine Rose, Cassie Burr. He brought these ones in and they formed really, Giga, God is good. Africa made it more appealing with being uh, instituted in law, sort of thing. You know, charitable status and all that. And these, they, they were these were educationalists. You know, they went to school, they went to university, <laughs> <laughs> weren't like me. <laughs> but uh, from my links in, in, I. I with African Bible College with the students coming. Obviously, the, in their hometowns or in their home villages, they were trying their own thing. So they were doing small schools, primary schools. So that was up their street. So I would take them along there and they would help out for a few days and then going up north. So that, that, that's the way. But like you say, you know, they were generous really in so many ways. Our, our church... Not only our church. Then, when Giga was formed, it went out throughout the island, and uh, oh, they loved. They just. My wife was home uh, then, and she'd be negotiating with them, with meetings, and how to go and raise money, and oh, it was incredible. And then that money filtered out, and you know, building a building, it costs money, but stage by stage, we managed to build two primary schools, really. The Congo's a different ball game. It's different to get into the the Congo, but uh, <coughs> bit by bit, Excuse slowly me. by slowly.
0: Now, a No, of and here's I suppose quite a controversial issue. Oh, wow. uh, you know, in in the world of mission, there's always this balance between giving to the majority world, giving money all the time, and them standing on their own two feet. Uh, there's a lot of corruption. You know, let's be honest about that. There's corruption there, and there's corruption here. You know, so, so <laughs> I mean, how do you how do you navigate to get that balance between the African church seeing us as, as a bank, basically? You know, that's been my experience. Yeah, and helping them to stand in their own two feet. Have you thought much about this? Yes.
1: Um. Well, be prepared to get your heart broken. Yeah, you know, uh, corruption. Oh, well, you're going to see it, and uh, sometimes it's 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 heartbreaking, really. But like you say, I don't have to go far to see chaos in our church. But they um, do see well from 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 my perspective some people see you as a bank you know not everybody but you are more wealthier than them in in so many ways but David only the gospel only the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and it's it's challenging in so many ways but at the end of the day, to be humble and to go in amongst them, they're created in God's image. Yes, they'll do mistakes as we do mistakes. And their their tendency at times is when they're poverty, that, they, that some of them might uh, steal your computer or your briefcase, which happens all the way along.
0: Do you think we can give too much financial help? And should we begin to... Help them to stand on their own feet because yeah. the continent of Africa is rich in
1: resources. Yes. Uh, Palmer's view always was: train up that that uh, student for four years, and he'll go out and make a difference. Now, it's quite difficult for these boys who are going to preach in David going back to their villages. It's not like a minister coming out of the free church and going to a district where he's paid and that. He's got to to have some other means with him, you know, to preach the gospel. He's got to have some sort of work. Not everybody, but majority. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. With the schools that we're building at the moment, we'll help with the buildings, but it's up to the pastor to pay for the teachers and the way he does that is the little he gets from 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 the parents of these children for their school fees he puts that out but we haven't got involved and we'll always leave that to the african pastor you sort that out we can come alongside and build your teacher and good, good chairs and desks in your classroom we can do that but that part you have to do okay
0: Absolutely. Right. M- moving on a, a wee bit, we're in a final lap here. I don't want to go through the, the this podcast without just mentioning. I think you'll be an encouragement to others. You you spoke about your H- your wife very early on as being involved in the work. Um, she kept the home fires burning in many ways while you were doing your your thing. Um, she passed on to Gory. How how long ago now? It's not so long, is it?
1: Well, a year last February. Yeah, yeah.
0: How have you found that, Kenny? And and has that affected your your confidence to to go back, or or after a period of loss, mourning? You feel well. Ishmael would maybe want me to get get in the saddle again and and just get going. Yeah. Tell tell me the story. How uh, did, yeah. did 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 her illness and, and death? Uh, I don't know. Was it a blow to your faith, or or was it something that
1: stimulated your faith? Or a bit um, of both. A bit of both. Ishtar was older than me, and she 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 was a very strong Christian. And uh, you know, we, well, everybody knows we've been in COVID, and just weeks after she passed away, we went into lockdown. Now, I thank the Lord for this, David, because he he really entrenched me to stay with God's word. To whom else can we go? You know, and I thank God for that. I, I get so much out of the word. Now, before Ishbal died, uh, but she got the last scan at the last day of the year, and then a month later she passed away. Middle of that month, uh, they said to the oncologist, said to uh, to to both of us, "We've lost control. We are no longer in control." Now she held my hand. And she said, what now for Africa? And I said to her, well, it'll never be the same again. And she said, I know. But go back and see what the Lord has for you. I'm not holding you to that. But God willing, I will go back. David. Now, it was interesting, the timing that you came in with us, because... I said to myself, Isabel would not, as you said, Isabel would not want me to be sitting here for the rest of my life, no. She'd want me to get out there and lift up the banner of God's truth. And God willing, David, I will go back. When, I don't know, but God willing, I will. And in God's time, you know, a few days before she died, she, she went into the Bethesda home on the Thursday. And uh, she died on the Saturday, but at the beginning of the week, she was saying her goodbyes, brothers and sisters and myself. And I remember she was in and out of consciousness. And once, when she said the goodbyes on, on the Tuesday, uh, when she woke up the next morning, she said, oh, I thought I was gone. <laughs> and her sister went and said to her, are you disappointed? <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, it was a lovely moment, really. Mm. But uh, oh, she's gone home, David. And uh, oh, one day at a time. One day at a time. Lockdown hasn't been easy for anyone, you know. Yeah. But uh, Have you been in touch with your friends in Africa? Yes, very much so. They, they want me to come out, even the people at the college. But oh, I, I've got to be careful the way I move. I feel, if I'm honest with you, David, the last couple of weeks, it's as if something's lifting. I'm seeing more clearly, you know, that I wasn't seen before. And uh, God is good. God is good Mm -hmm. all the time.
0: Well, uh, Kenny, thank you. We've got to wind up now. Our 40 minutes have just flown by. Uh, thank you so much. There's lots of things there to take note of. Your, your conversion, how God just changed you. That's an encouragement. Uh, the, the power of the Bible, you know. That verse. Remember now, your creator, the Sam and, and Scalpy. Your your worldview. You know that's really interesting. How you involved the local church? So, thank you so much, Kenny, for for speaking with us. I hope folks will enjoy the podcast. Uh, we will put links below to God Is Good Africa. If anybody else is interested in the mission and the experience, they can get in touch through the Facebook site, through the website. And that Kenny, thank you so much for being with
1: us today Thank you very much David, God bless you